and new families right outside. The teachers will be waiting if you'd like your children to go to some of our Sunday school classes. I'm Leon Stevenson, one of the pastors here at MacAv Community Church, and we are uh, delighted to have you. Um, I always get really excited as the the kids leave, just to think that little ones like that can have a, a whole life of being immersed in God-centered community and scriptures, so they may live for the Lord as adults. That just really excites me, and I'm thankful that a lot of you guys help to train and teach those young ones. So uh, we are definitely grateful for you guys. When I was growing up, like a little one, like, like some of the kids who left, I used to watch this game show with my grandmother. It was called Let's Make a Deal. And on that show, yeah, on that show, um, people would come dressed in these interesting costumes, and there was a guy who would say, okay, so today you've won $10,000, but you have, you have an opportunity. You can go home with your $10,000, or you can take what's behind door number three. And it was, it, it was an interesting show because you either got a chance to get a car, or you might go home with a donkey. It was like that extreme. You know, it'd be a, a, a big bowl full of bubbles, or you got a vacation cruise for like six months. Like, it was that extreme. And one of the things that stood out to me most from that show was the expressions and the response of the people. Depending on the the prize, depending on the outcome, that greatly affected the people's response. So if a person got a new car, like jumping up, punching their fists in the air, like they kissing the the host, but they got the donkey, (laughs) they got a donkey. You saw sadness, you saw gloom, you saw, you know, despair, almost like a kid walking home who got his lunchbox stolen. They're just thumb, you know, lip poked out. I mean, you saw great despair. Today, we're going to start in the scriptures at a point where where Paul greatly encourages us to be people of gratitude. But he doesn't say simply be a person that's that's very thankful, a person that uh, greatly wants to be grateful for what God has given only just to do it. He says, because your greatest treasure is Jesus. So in having Christ, you have no choice but to be grateful. And if you aren't, then you if you're not grateful, then there's a disconnect in your understanding of who Christ is. Will you guys pray with me as we jump into the scriptures today? Heavenly Father, may we realize that we have won big in you. Father, there is no greater, greater treasure, no greater prize than having the fullness of Jesus Christ in our lives. May your word help us to know you better. May it give us wisdom so we may... uh, Live according to your purposes. May you use my tongue to bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. So family, Colossians 1.11, we, we, Darcy blessed us and read through that. And we last week went through 11. We've been through, going through the book of Colossians. We went through 11, so we're going to pick up at 12. But I want you to see where, where Paul almost has one hand in 11, one hand in 12. In 11, he's saying, hey, with all power, you've, you've been strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father. Now, you have, we, we have one big so the, 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 the expression of gratitude flows out of receiving Jesus, our greatest treasure. But it is, it is very tough to be grateful when you either don't understand the gift or don't cherish it. Some of you guys, I'm looking around, I'm not going to point you out, but some of y'all are like me. Right now, you've got some, you've got some ashy lips. Mm-hmm, you're just like me, I see you. And if somebody came in here and said, here's a chapstick, you'd be like, thanks. I guess. Thank you. But some of you guys have college debt. Have a house note. Some of you guys have, have medical bills that you're trying to pay. And if somebody came in and blessed you with a check to write all of that off, the joy that would come forth from you would be so crazy, it would affect all of what you do. That's the type of joy that's being spoken of here. It's not simply, I want you to be grateful, like, in this isolated area of your life. This is to permeate through all of your being. I, I see it every Monday and Wednesday with my daughter. My daughter, we're taking, she's taking ballet. And uh, I sometimes can't forget what day it is. But on a day my daughter has ballet, she's like buzzing around the house. She's really finicky. She's so excited to be able to go to this class that, that from breakfast until she gets out of ballet, there's a joy within her. And you guys have had chances to experience joy like that too. Where your, your whole life is transformed. Maybe, maybe it happened when you, when you fell in love. And you start hearing the birds chirp a different way. Don't worry about the traffic. Let's all stay in rush hour. I'm in love. I, I don't know what that situation was for you, but, but you grasp the concept of gratefulness affecting all of who you are. Affecting every component of your being. But, but, but hear these two verses so you can have a deeper grasp of what it looks like to be joyful, to be thankful. Paul says it in, in Galatians and Philippians. He starts in Galatians by saying, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We, I, I bring this up because some of us have the weird understanding of thinking that joy is optional. That joy is something that as a Christian I can choose not to do. Can you choose, do you have the, the freedom to choose not to be faithful? Do you have the freedom to choose not to be kind? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like an exposed, you know, I'm feeling like my heart is just open right now. I was with my wife two weeks ago, and we are uh, coming home, and, and she said something to me that was like a, 
a level two accident, but I blew it up to a level 12, y'all. I got mad. I got, I said something that hurt her. And afterwards, my justification was, well, because of what you did, I didn't need to respond in a kind way. Isn't that just stupid? Isn't that foolish? But in that moment, in that moment, I wanted to say, hey, this situation necessitates me being able to respond in an unkind way, without love. I don't have to be patient. Look at the way you keep stepping on me. That wasn't the situation with my wife, but I'm just, I'm just giving you guys examples. Don't go play my girl like, dang, Rebecca. <laughs> but we can be people who allow joy to be dictated by our situation. Paul says that's not an option. You are called to be joyous. Look at the next, the next verse, the next example in Philippians 2. Verse 14, he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. What is that language? Being poured out like a drink offering. So, so in their culture, in that day, there, people were worshiping all types of gods. What they would do is take an animal, burn the animal. As the animals, as the fumes from the animal are burning, they say that's bringing God glory. They then would take a grain offering, add that to the burnt animal. That's bringing God more glory. They then would take wine, pour it all around the animal. And as that vapor went up, they saw that as the ultimate way of bringing God glory. He's saying, look, if my blood served as that wine, I would still rejoice because of your faithfulness. If I was a martyr, I would still be joyous. How can he say that? How can a man say, even unto the point of death, I would still be joyous because of the treasure? Because the treasure is Christ. There's no, I, I, don't, I don't know of any other way we can say that. It couldn't be to please them because the treasure is Christ. But I think all too often we, we, we dismiss joy as a choice. Like some of you guys, you've been in this situation. You and another person go through an experience, the exact same experience together. Maybe it's your spouse. Exact same thing happens. You respond complaining. They respond with a positive attitude. Why is that? Why is it that two people can go through the exact same thing and it affects them totally differently? One can choose joy. Another can choose dissatisfaction, complaining, choose to grumble. My friends, 
living the God-centered life, living for Jesus is a daily battle. But we have to renew our minds and submit our minds to Christ so that even in the midst of those situations, we're not the ones grumbling. That's a choice. And I don't know about you guys, but I have friends that I'm like, man, I hope nothing happens when he's around. Because every time he's around, you know, if the waiter doesn't bring water quick enough, oh, man, this service is horrible. You know, like, you know those people. Don't act like y'all don't know. You got those friends that you're like, man, do you blow everything out of proportion? But, man, what, what would it look like for Christ-centered people to be so joyous that that be, that be something that people desire? Man, the, 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 the gratitude that he shows... I don't have that. I'd love to have him around more. I'd love to have him in my life. I'd love to have her in my life. The way she appreciates people, the way she shows gratefulness and thankfulness. So as we move on, the verse says, in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Qualified. Friends, this is one of those terms that's like just submerged in a sea of grace. It should make us, it keeps us humble. Because God here is saying, it was none of your effort. It was none of your works. In fact, you're not good enough. But yet and still, I've qualified you for, for what is to come, for what the rest of the chapter is going to share. But I, I selected you. I chose you. So we should be that much more grateful. Wow, Lord, you chose me in all this mess? Praise the Lord. That should, that should lead us to be a people who are so thankful for this great treasure in Christ. So now you share in the inheritance of his people. Inheritance. He's, he's trying to show a connection between the people of God and reaching back through history. Abraham uh, was told in the 13th chapter of Genesis, he says, look, Abraham, this land, this land of Canaan will be with your people forever. Forever. There's an inheritance that your people are going to always have. So now what, what Paul is trying to do is show us that we are connected to that lineage. But our inheritance is greater than a physical place. We now inherit a kingdom. A kingdom. Shouldn't that, that that's, like, that's like somebody, that's like you going to buy a house, Josh and April, and then someone's saying, nope, you got to get all of Detroit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's that much of a drastic difference. And it humbles us because we're not alone. He's showing us, man, the, the people of Israel that were believers, they're going to be there. Gentiles that are believers, they're going to be there. But they're also battling something in, in Colossians, in Colossia. They're battling Jesus not being enough. And Pastor Russ hit on that clearly. They're battling Jesus not being enough. And so if you look, uh, let me, I think I put it in there. If you look, if you have your Bibles in, in 218, uh, still in Colossians, basically, he says this. People are worshiping angels. People are here worshiping. So they're saying, yeah, Jesus is good, 
but 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 do not let here we go thanks see do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you so they're basically saying yeah jesus is good and you need some angels though you need a little bit more and i remember when i was when i was coming into the faith somebody said that to me a little different than angels though they said you know yeah man you got jesus but have you spoken in tongue yet so until you speak in tongues, you don't really have God. You don't really have the Holy Spirit. But we've qualified, we've, we've made additional things to Christ be barriers to people experiencing the true gospel. And we're going to see later that, that, that those types of things like, make God extremely angry. When we add barriers, when we make additions to the gospel, when we tell a brother he can't come in here because he's not dressed a certain way or, or they've got to, you know, got to meet a certain criteria or like it, when we add barriers to the gospel, it's extremely, it makes God extremely angry. So we, we inherit far more than a place. We inherit a kingdom. We are people who join in with the people of Israel, but we get to delight in the presence of God where angels will be. So he's checking it, saying, look, you don't need to go searching after something more. You're going to be in the place where God is. And guess what? Angels are there, too. So you don't need to worship angels. They were created to bring God glory just like you were. So Jesus is enough. My friends, I, I'm so at MacAv, we, if you're new, we like dialogue. So if you have a question, you can feel free to raise your hand and ask it at any time. But I'm going to ask you guys a question now. When we say kingdom, what is that referring to? What is the kingdom of God? Just, just to make sure. We, I know we said about a thousand times, but I want to make sure we still have that one in our hearts and our minds. What is the kingdom of God? God's rule and reign. Amen. So that so that kingdom now, that kingdom can be advanced and, it, and, and the difficulty which we're going to see is acknowledging, man, your kingdom is here now, yet I still see so much pain. That's going to be one we're going to talk through in a moment. But you but we have to realize that we're, we've inherited. Uh, we, we now are benefactors of God's rule and reign. I want to read you guys a quote. I, um, I was talking with my wife, and she was reading a book to my daughter about Helen Keller. And sad to say, I didn't know who that was. And so I was talking, uh, I was reading through a commentary. I was talking about uh, Colossians. And this was a quote from Helen Keller's autobiography. I wanted to read it for you guys because it, it, it blew me away. Helen Keller is a, a woman who at, the, at about 18 months, uh, she lost her sight due to an illness. They're not exactly sure what the illness was, uh, but she lost her sight, so she became blind, uh, and her hearing, so it was deaf. And so uh, a woman helped her create a language so that she could communicate, and she began to be very influential for uh, a number of different things. But hear, hear this from, from uh, a quote from her autobiography. Helen Keller, who became deaf and blind at a very early age, wrote in her autobiography, 
for three things I thank God every day of my life. Thanks that he has vouchsafed me knowledge of his works. Deep thanks that he has set in my darkness the lamp of faith. Deep, deepest thanks that I have another life to look forward to. A life joyous with light and flowers and a heavenly song. She claimed that so much had been given to her that she had no time to think about what had been denied her. My family, may we have that type of focus. But we're not distracted by anything that would lead us to grumble or to complain. But man, we would, we would see Jesus so clearly that we would pursue him and have so much of a desire to rejoice in who he is that grumbling can't, I don't have time to grumble. I got to worship God. Let that be us. And I'm not saying that, that, that to be Christian means like you never feel bad about things. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying let our hearts break for what God heart, heart, God's heart breaks for. So if, he's, if, if, if injustice is happening, I'm not saying be so joyous you just skip over injustice. <laughs> but the pizza being late, really? The, the waiter taking an extra 10 minutes, really? The, the person on the other end of the phone, because you've been talking with, with them over your phone line and they messed up your bill. Really, you're going to cuss them out? We, we, we know the difference between being patient, being kind, having joy, even in a crazy situation, or letting the situation dictate our joy. And he'll bring up, uh, has rescued for me, 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. This rescue, it's, it's Christ piercing in, paying all debt. And so in the past, some people have elevated, elevated Satan in the wrong way. As if Satan's like, like a, a, a bookie. And Jesus is coming like, hey man, you know, you got my people can we square away this debt? I know I owe you. No, like that is what we're going to, I mean, darkness doesn't even compare with the, with the beautiful eternal light that's present in our Lord. There's no, there's, it's not like, you know, you got light and dark and they're evenly going against, like God is in control of all things, all the time, never ceasing. So Satan is but a mere pawn in God's bigger plan. So what God says is, look, Jesus, there's some things I need you to accomplish on behalf of the people and to bring me glory. One of them is this sin issue. So when you die, you're going to allow me to see my people as I created them, void of sin. Another one, this Satan dude. I, I, I need him bound I need, I need my people to be free to rejoice in me. And I need you to put this darkness thing in check. God, like, like, darkness isn't outside of the scope of God. 
God actually uses darkness. He uses darkness to punish those who are far from him, evil nations, to punish false prophets, people who say, hey, man, yeah, worship, worship Jesus and angels. You know, like when we add to the gospel, when people say things of God that are not true, there, there's, there's, there's a consequence for that. And he uses darkness to, to hide himself from those whose hearts do not desire him. Can hit that next one for me? I, w- I want you guys to see like the the very the, the minute power that Satan has, and I'm going to help you see his goal or trick. First, the limited power. This is when Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and basically uh, um, soldiers are coming to arrest him, and they, what's going to happen after this is, you know, the passion begins and Christ is ultimately going to die on the cross for us. But here's where, where things begin. And in 52, Luke 22, 52, it says, then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour. When darkness reigns. Notice the, 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 the play on words. Your hour. Tell me, tell me how big is an hour in the scope of eternity? A, a, a blip on the screen? A, a, a quarter of a breath in, a, in, 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 in breathing for a lifetime? I mean, it's, it's, it's nothing. And so he's saying, yeah, you go, go ahead, try to advance what you need to advance, but it's only going to be for a second. You, my father's plan will be executed. And so, friends, the, the, the trick of Satan is to make you think he's more powerful than he is. And the, the, one of the saddest parts of our reality as believers is that while Jesus will rescue us from darkness, he says, hey, your heart, that heart that was of stone, now I bring to life. Those things you delighted in in that past life, I'm going to rescue you from those things. You are now placed in a new kingdom, a new inheritance. That's not you anymore. And the sad part, is that while we've been placed in a new place, we sometimes look back and long for what was killing us. So we've been, so we've been made new. Okay, you are now beautiful in the eyes of Christ. You now have value and worth. And yet we look back. Let me show you how he tries to deceive. Okay. If you guys can turn to Matthew 4, 8, or it's going to be up here next. Basically, Jesus was fasting, fasting 40 days. Satan comes on the scene, tries to tempt him. Look at what Jesus says to Satan. Excuse me. And Satan, how Satan tries to tempt Jesus. He says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. 
Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. All this I will give to you. Why would that be pleasing to Jesus? All this I will give to you so that Jesus could what? Do whatever he wanted. Have have no one to be accountable to. All this I will give to you as as if. As if he gave it to Jesus, Jesus could just say, oh, now I have all these kingdoms. No responsibility to anyone. I rule. And that same desire to be controlling, that same, that that Jesus rejected it. But Adam and Eve failed to it. You see, for in the Garden of Eden, God said, hey, my ways are better. And for a moment, Adam and Eve chose to believe that their ways were better. In control, they would have a better outcome than God. And so what Satan tried to do to you and I is fool us into thinking that our way is going to be better than God's. And so that's how we, at times, reach back into a place that we've been rescued from. So I see it, I see it in, in, in sisters who've been remade and say, yes, I am beautifully made in Jesus Christ. But I, but I feel in control when I eat. And so, and so now eating issues have developed because that's when I feel like I can take control. I've seen it in, in men and women who wrestle with insecurity and say, man, when, when, when I'm sleeping with him or I sleep with her or I'm sleeping with both, whatever, th- that's when I'm in control. That's when, Jesus, I've got the reins. I find a way to feed that past flesh and I'm in control. But family, when has our control ever led to something healthy? Please, do a, do, do a search. Look up the wisdom of man. You won't find anything good. Family, don't let Satan trick us into missing some of our past things. Some of our past behavior that God has freed us from. You're a new person now. Transplanted. That, that, that next term, keep going for me, E. Brought us into a kingdom of the son he loves. Brought symbolizes a a conquest has happened. Two nations have fought. One nation won. That nation said, hey, y'all lived in Detroit. I'm picking you up, all 700,000 of you, and I'm moving you to North Dakota. That, that, that term brought means that, that, that a people group has been transplanted. But not simply moved into a new inheritance, which we have, but you have a new identity. At some point, if you move to Detroit, say you're a Detroiter. You haven't lived in Cleveland for 40 years. You're a Detroiter now. God's trying to wake us up. You have inherited the kingdom. You're not a part of Satan's world anymore. You're not a part of darkness. You are now a beautiful believer in Christ. Reap the benefits. 
Enjoy what he's accomplished for you. Have joy because of this new reality. So we're brought into this kingdom of the son that he loves. And it's difficult for us to understand this because brought does not have a, a, the connotation of future. He didn't say will bring you. This has happened already. But yet we live in a world where we look out and we still see pain we still see people hurting. We still wrestle with our flesh. We still desire the old that we were saved from. Neil, could you go to that two kingdom illustration for me? So I want you guys to get a, 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 a glimpse. And I snatched this, um, this picture from some of my vineyard homies. But I've enhanced it a bit. Cause I think there's a couple things that they left out. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so the, the blue line represents God's kingdom. There is no starting point. We should let that blue run all the way down, you know, to, I don't know, China. Um, because e- eternity, eternity, has, it, God has always existed, always been present, always been. He just is. And so creation happened. We could look in Genesis where the world was created, man was created, and then the fall takes place. Now, the kingdom of darkness has not always existed. It is not on par with God's kingdom. So you see, it has a starting place. And the first coming of Jesus takes us from the fall and God making a promise that one will come to save us. That's where you see that first line, excuse me, the fall happens. Then a promise happens that we will be redeemed from the fall. That promise is realized in Jesus Christ. But that promise, while we've been brought into a new inheritance, we have not fully experienced the reality of that new inheritance yet. But we will in the second coming of Jesus. So if you see just above that orange line, it's not to say that Macab is rolling with the kingdom of darkness. Okay, it's to tell you that we stand (laughs) to tell you that we stand in between Jesus's first coming and second coming where he uses you to advance, transform and change this world for his kingdom. But he has not fully transformed this world yet to reflect that kingdom. But it's being reflected in you as a Christian. So even now as I'm talking, if you're in this room and you're saying, man, that sounds cool. I have never been challenged to be an advancer of God's kingdom. I don't know what that looks like. What is his kingdom? What should I be doing? This is a place for you to learn. We can't, we, can't, we can't tell you how God wants to use you, but we can put you in an environment where it can be clear of what it looks like to love the Lord deeply and trust him in, 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 those, in how to do that. 
So we stand right in the middle between between the first coming and second coming of Christ. But then after that second coming, we having a party, y'all. I'm just saying when the second coming happens and all peace, all darkness done away with, we shall rejoice because we will be with him fully. Fully. So family, that 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 if you can go back, go to the next one. He he brought us into a kingdom of the son that he loves. In whom we have redemption. It's a it's a, a price that was paid. And as we shared earlier, that that it wasn't a price paid with with Satan, Jesus answering to Satan. Not at all. It was Jesus responding to his father. It was God saying, my people who I love, Jesus, your death will, will, deal, will deal with this sin issue. My people who have sinned, who've sinned against me, through you, Jesus, I will provide a way that they may be fully forgiven. That they may experience my love and the fullness of that. The difficulty, the difficulty is being in the already and not yet, being in that in-between place and truly knowing that you've been redeemed, rescued, and forgiven. Even you with all your stuff, with all those issues, doesn't disqualify you. And if you long to grow in him more, if you long to, to, to dig deeply in who Christ is, man, he wants that for you. He desires that of you. I want to leave you guys with a story from uh, David Garland. He shares about uh, an oncologist um, and her experience with this family. He says here, Diane Comp, a pediatric oncologist, tells the story of Arthur, who developed cancer when he was three years old. He had multiple relapses over a five-year period and was often too close to death. His parents were wonderful, she says, patient with his treatment and never losing hope. One day, Arthur's mother called the doctor to ask something that had been weighing on her for years. She said that in early years of her marriage, she had an affair and left her husband for another man. She became pregnant by him. When he learned of her pregnancy, he gave her something to swallow in hopes of inducing an abortion. It did not work, and he abandoned her. She returned to her husband, pregnant, with Arthur. She asked for and received his forgiveness. He knew the truth, but always loved and treated Arthur as his own son. Her question to the oncologist was this. Do you think that the concoction I drank to abort the pregnancy caused the cancer? Dr. Comp wisely responded, we will never know what caused the cancer. But doctors cannot heal guilt. And the mother suffered for many years 
with her terrible burden. Deep within her soul, she must have felt that her sin caused all this suffering for her son. Arthur's Arthur's mother later wrote the doctor that she had grown up in a church that preached forgiveness through Christ's sacrifice. In spite of this religious tradition, um, she had she had never been able to forgive herself and had rejected the forgiveness that God had offered her in Jesus. There was no one in her church with whom she could share her burden. When she finally forgave herself, she underlined every passage in the Bible that referred to God's forgiveness and was amazed that the burden was lifted. The healing of memories and guilt can sometimes be more difficult than the healing of cancer, she said. Author was one of the first in the country to receive a new experimental drug. It worked. His mother called the doctor to invite her to his wedding. One can imagine that it was going to be a big celebration, a joyous celebration. How do we respond to the gift of forgiveness that God freely offers us? What have you done that that makes you think that you haven't inherited this? What have you done that makes you think that you can't focus on the joy of Christ? Would you submit that to him? Would Would you be involved in a body that's transparent, that will walk with you in the midst of that? You ask what what discipleship is for. It's for it's for character building like this. How dare a woman say she grew up in a Christian environment and couldn't share that burden. That burden is enough to lead a person to commit suicide. Let not the same be said of you. May we carry each other's burdens. May we share and be truly vulnerable. But my friends. We have a reason to be joyous because we have a great treasure. It is Jesus who's transplanted us, took us from a, from a kingdom of darkness, placed us in a place of light. And it was not by any of our doing. So let us be people that are truly joyous, truly thankful for that new reality. Will you pray with me? Lord, you are so loving. 